morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. For Mental Health Awareness Month, we've been trying to discuss different issues that come up, not just in the world at large in terms of mental health, but what specifically the issues that we're looking at in the Orthodox Jewish community. Now, the truth is that anything that happens in the world at large also happens in the Jewish community because, uh, surprise, surprise, although Hollywood may not show this, we are humans too. Um, but the thing is that um, when we talk about mental health issues in the Orthodox community, there are different things we can bring in. We can talk about what culturally makes us different, that um, makes mental health issues maybe more challenging in certain ways or more hidden in certain ways. Um, or just as unique to our community, what total can we look to uh, to get healthy? Um, and really, at the end of the day, uh, to be a healthy person, both physically and mentally, is a Jewish idea. We have to get the best information out there. We have to work on, on healing and prevention. Um, and that's why uh, this type of information is so important. So I'm going to bring to you today uh, two uh, incredible leaders in the field. We have with us Dr. Michael Salomon, um, who is a psychologist, wrote a book on abuse in the Orthodox Jewish community. And we have with us also Rabbi Yankee Horowitz, um, who has been an advocate for years. I mean, really both of them have, but sort of from different perspectives, one's from the mental health side and one from the rabbinic side. So Dr. Salomon and Rabbi Horowitz, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. So I guess what I, you know, something that I came to realize recently that I repeated to many of our MACO members was that I don't think a leader, a healthy leader needs an outcome from his or her flock or, you know, um, the people that come to them. The leader is there to serve. The leader is there to inspire. The leader is there to you know, be a resource. But I think, um, would you agree that the leader is not supposed to like need a certain thing from the people coming to the leader because it's no longer a service um, if they need a certain outcome or a certain, um, obviously you get nachas uh, from people that you've been able to inspire and it feels good to know that you're helping people grow in a healthy and you know Jewish way. But uh, to need a certain outcome seems to me like a red flag and there seems to be certain leaders that do want to control uh, the followers and see a certain outcome. Can I do the rabbi one? Can I do go, go first, doctor? Sure. So first of all, you see that God himself doesn't force outcomes on us. What more, what more proof do you need that, that God gave us Bechira, Hashem gave us free choice. God had the power to taser us if we do something wrong. Quite to the contrary, the, the, my understanding of this is, is that God gave us free choice so that we can learn from our mistakes. That's what's the biggest less life lessons we have is learning from a mistake. So what, it, there's so many facets about this we were discussing, that phenomena that's wrong because in that type of authoritarian leader, the followers are not comfortable discussing their sins with the leader when they should be most comfortable, that's when you need, that's when you need a leader to help you. You need a parent. I, I do the same thing with parents. It's the same, it's the same, it's really parent. It's very similar with parents. The authoritarian parents have no idea what's going on with the children once they hit 10, 12, 14 years old because they don't talk to them. So, so that, that, that's, that's one thing. It, it's, you see from God, that God didn't do this and, and it's just wrong. I, I, just quick anecdote. 
a year or two ago, I went to one of the leading rabbis in the world today to discuss a very complex issue. And he told me his opinion on it. It wasn't strict law, it wasn't halacha, it was more, it was more advice. And I believe in being honest. I respectfully said, I said, Rebbe, I, I, I have a hard time accepting this. So his initial immediate response was, I didn't, I didn't tell you to listen. You came to me, exactly. Listen to the humility. And again, it was a cultural thing. It wasn't a Shabbos. And, and this rabbi happened to have called me once. I did something in public that he thought was, uh, um, that I should have done differently. He picked up a phone and he called me, he said, Rabbi Yaakov, with the greatest respect, respectfully, I think you should reconsider. And then he hung up, that's it. He said, if you wanna have a question, you can talk to me about it some more, but I just think you should reconsider. And of course I took his advice, um, but his humility was, like, the man told me something. I said, I haven't lived my life like that. That's not the advice I'm giving parents. And, and I can't see myself giving this advice to parents. He, says, <laughs> he laughed, he said, who told you? You don't have to come to me. I didn't, have to, I didn't tell you to listen to me. I told you, you know, like he said, I serve the food. You don't wanna eat it, it's your business. That, that's a rabbi, that's a leader that you could follow to the end of the world. And just to, I mean, I totally agree with that. And, and thank God I've had some rabbi in my life like that, and I still do. Um, but if you look at the child rearing literature, what's the best way to teach a child? It's not to constantly hover over them. They never learn that way. They just never learn that way. You've got to give them a little bit of freedom so that they can learn from their mistakes. Obviously, you don't want them running out into traffic or, or running with scissors or all those other things that children can do and get into serious trouble with. But if they don't have some freedom, you're going to have a child who's going to be very rebellious and you'll have bigger problems later on and they will never learn important life lessons along the way. Totally. So if you have a rabbi who's telling you exactly what you should be doing, is not embarrassing you, if you're not doing it the way he demands of you, then you're not living a healthy life. Can I, can I, add, can I add something else and give some, can I give some advice to parents if I may? And, and, and loved ones. Because this, you didn't bring this up and I, I think it would be an important point to consider. If you have a loved one who's in a relationship like that with a leader, how do you extract them from it? And, and I think that's one of the most, I would love to hear Dr. Solomon, I would love to hear literature, if there is any, you know, on this. How do you, how do you get people to step back a little bit? And my humble advice, again, this is Yankee, not, not any, I'm always careful if this is something that's science-based, I say, and if it's not, it's just Yankee. But this is my anecdotal experience of, you know, guiding parents for, for almost 40 years now. Um, in very small doses, don't, in other words, whatever advice you're giving them to step back a little bit, don't come and say this person's a cult leader. You're just going to drive them away from you and towards them, towards him or her. I think the worst thing you could do is just do a frontal, um, a frontal approach to just say this is a horrible person. Gently try to just bring in, do you find that you know, ask small questions a little bit at a time and try to get them to think to step back. Usually try to find a time when they're away from that person for a week or two. I mean it, I'm dead serious. And then when you get them away, say, listen, I've been thinking about this. 
I'll tell you, a father um, asked me to speak to, to um, his daughter, um, just for the record. I, I only speak to young ladies once and with a parent there, but he, he was he was terrified that his daughter was in, in, in you know, with, with in, in a cult situation or an, exactly an authoritarian or, or abusive person. And um, this young lady was describing her relationship. She was 19 years old. This guy was 35. And she was telling how she texts him and she does, and he's good and he's great and he's always there for her. I mean, talk about red flags, like they were all, they were all dinging. And I was thinking like, how should I respond <clears throat> and I said, well, what hours of the day does he text you? What, what hours do you have this exchange? And she says, oh, he's incredible. Anytime. Like, you know, even if I text him two, three in the morning, he'll usually respond within 10 minutes. And I was thinking to myself, what should I say now that would say how weird this is? If I would say this is sick, you know? I, so I was quiet. I, I held myself up. <laughs> you know, punching, uh, not to say anything right away. So I said, imagine a few years from now, that's what I told the young lady. I said, imagine a few years from now, if you're married and you have a child or two and you go downstairs to make a bottle for the baby and you see your husband on the couch texting a 19 year old girl, how would you feel? And her face dropped. Like that was the only thing I said. We had a, I said a lot of different things. It wasn't direct. I put her in the situation. I gave an example. I don't think it changed overnight, but she event, she was out of there in, within, within a couple of months after that. I think that was the most effective thing that I said. I'm saying so, and I've tried a lot of things that didn't work. So I think that would be try to be creative and try to get them to reflect and don't do the frontal approach. It just doesn't work. And, and the science is the same. So you got it, Rabbi. You must have been reading the journals. Basically, you join, you join with the person that you're trying to teach and, and, and evacuate from the cult slowly, step by step by step. You do not become confrontational because if you do, you lose them. They keep with their cult leader. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I, I, I... <laughs> Go for it. Um, I want to sort of uh, do two last questions before we wrap this fascinating conversation up. And I, I hope that this interview will be watched far and wide and shared far and wide because I think this is so important. I wanna dig a little further into the topic of manipulation. Then I wanna end off with prevention because we gotta end on a good note. Uh, in terms of manipulation, uh, Dr. Salomon, I'll address this to you and then I'm gonna do a second manipulation question to uh, Rabbi Horowitz. We all manipulate at some point in our life to a certain degree. And I've heard people that are defenders of what I see are sort of manipulators as opposed to a person who has done something manipulative at some point in his life. So how do we sort of, you know, understand the difference between a healthy person occasionally doing something manipulative? Probably many people here have done something manipulative to some degree at some point in their life as opposed to the serial manipulator where's the okay so so just based on what the rabbi said Rabbi, if you get a good example by saying what he said to this young this 19 year old that was a kind of manipulation but that was a healthy manipulation mm -hmm. try to try to think of yourself a certain way 
that is not gaslighting. It's totally different. That's a healthy manipulation. Gaslighting, which is unhealthy manipulation, is when you 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 do something to an individual and you say, no, that's not what occurred. You're misinterpreting or you did that to me or, or something along those lines. That's the distinction. It's a very clear, it's not a fine line. It's a very clear distinction between being a healthy kind of encouraging, take a look at yourself kind of manipulation versus I am now going to tell you something that is totally not real and you're going to be forced to believe it and act according to what I want you to do. Okay. I think that part where where you ask the person how would you feel about it, that's I think that would be the key. If you'd ask me to describe the difference between healthy and unhealthy, in, in the situation where I spoke to the young lady, I, I didn't tell her what's right or wrong. I told I pointed to that I said, how would you feel in that situation? So again, you're empowering her even when you're trying to Clear, I mean, the clear message was that I thought it was unhealthy, but even then, I, I, I you know, Rabbi Dr. Chaim Foyman, I forgot to mention, he was the master, master mentor, and, and at this, I learned this, a lot of this from him. So please, Allison, sorry. Um, and so for the manipulation question for you, I've heard people justify manipulation um, for the good of spreading Torah so that we have an obligation to increase, you know, Torah observance amongst our fellow Jews. And so um, if in the act of helping someone to become more religious, more from, uh, you have to do it through manipulative tactics, so be it. Uh, that's sort of part of, you know, what Judaism says. So uh, when I heard uh, someone comment this, that seemed just super wrong to me. And uh, you know, sort of why, why does the person have to get there in a healthy way as opposed to through an unhealthy means? There's a so, difference between... Oh, sorry. There's, can, there's a difference between offering it and shaming someone into it. Mm -hmm. A big difference. Rabbi, please take over. Yeah, so, so somebody asked me why a similar question, Allison and Doctor, like... To describe what's wrong with these people who are protesting what they consider to be immodest behavior or people who have, but, but they're doing a good thing. So I say the people who are sitting there yelling at women that aren't dressed neistic, it's not more of a good thing. It's a horrible thing. It's an anti-Torah. It's a hard, these are dirty people who have dirty minds and are projecting. This is not healthy. This is not normal. This is not the way the Torah didn't tell us to do this. And in fact, there are laws in the Torah for how to, how to give rebuke. And none of that resembles this. So I propose that when people act in that way, they're degrading the Torah. Short term, you might be getting people to do different things. But, but ultimately, the, the resentment that people feel um, to, to, to being manipulated like this is the biggest turnoff to religion possible, including other people who watch this. So this isn't the way, but I, I, I told some, it was late at night and I said, you know, like, so tell me what's wrong with this? What's wrong with people who are constantly rebuking and, and you know, so I said, you know what the problem is? These folks don't know where God ends and they start. They think they're God. I, that, that's yeah. a nutshell, that's a, if, theologically that's what i think it is they think they're god and they think that that 
you know, God sits in judgment. We don't sit in judgment. So we're, we're supposed to support people and help them and try to get them to be inspired to learn Torah. Sure, if I tell people that, that you know, it's Erev Yom Kippur, and if you don't do, that, do stand and shul and da-da-da, you're going to get smitten or whatever. I might get some short-term. There's, there's no juice there, though. It doesn't stay. There's no, there's no stickiness. It, and it's sticky. Sometimes they can manipulate people for 30 years. But in my mind, I don't think that's what God wants at all. Like I said, God doesn't do this with us. God doesn't do this with us. God, God. All right, final thoughts. Um, there are some of these leaders um, at large still in our community. So um, for both of you, I'd like to ask you, in terms of distraction, <laughs> sort of taking the oxygen out of their leadership, and then also prevention, how do we try to create systems um, to prevent from getting traction in the future? I know this is a huge topic, but any final thoughts, Dr. Solomon and then uh, Rabbi Horowitz? Uh, um I, I don't know that there's a good answer for that. There are plenty of articles written um, uh, educating children to be more independent. Um, parents should be more aware of what their children are getting involved in, um, things like that. But people are people. And unfortunately, there will always be individuals out there who are looking for someone to give them guidance. Like I said before, the, the authoritarian dynamic. They want someone to tell them what to do. And if they can't think for themselves or they don't not sure that they can make good decisions, they will always become vulnerable. Question is, how do you get to these people soon enough so that they don't get sucked in? The answer is, we don't really know for sure. And all of these recommendations are good ones. Yes, teach your children to be more independent. You be more aware of what they're involved in. Um, channel them into programs that are supportive for their learning, not manipulative. All of those things are good, appropriate. Um, there are red flags all along the way, and we should be more aware of them. But there is no one good protocol that we can all follow. Not from what I've seen, not from what the literature shows me. Actually, can you just, um, before we switch to Rabbi Horowitz, can you just um, sort of explain to our listeners, what is the harm of being emotionally abused or manipulated by someone? Uh, on you and what harm can be done still essentially it's it's any kind of abuse can cause the same basic type of harm um it can actually change structures within the brain any kind of abuse can do that which makes you over time more dependent on people who are going to harm you it can make you physically ill it can make you emotionally diff uh, difficult having difficulty in relationships uh, unable to carry out certain tasks um, we see people who've been emotionally abused. They can't hold on to jobs. They're always arguing with people. Um, a, a wide, wide range of, of possible outcomes from, from emotional to physical all the way through. In fact, there was a, a, a recent article in one of the, the uh, medical journals that there's a, a correlation between any kind of abuse and developing asthma of all things. Wow. So, so it could be anything. Now, correlation is not necessarily causation, but it's pretty strong correlation there, hmm. at least what's reported in that sample. Rabbi Horowitz. Um, you know, I'm thinking of my experience with child sexual abuse and becoming aware of it. You know, I started dealing with teens at risk in 1997, 96. 
And about 2002-03, it started hitting me that a large percentage of the children that were, you know, in very bad shape had been abused. Uh, um, I call it abandoning life, not abandoning religion. You know, the two groups of people. But but when I started realizing how bad it was and that it was, um, I started speaking about it. And it, it took years. I'm not saying I was the only one speaking about it. Those of us in the field, the 10, 12, 15 of us who were talking about this regularly over the next year, it takes time. And I think this is a great start. I don't, I haven't heard much of this discussed in the public realm. And I think what you're doing, Allison, is a great service. And I think everyone who's listening to this, if it resonates with you, pass it on to your friends, talk about it. So, and, and I think, I think look, we, we see, <coughs> We made extraordinary progress, even in the last few years, even the last, you know, years of, of, you know, I think Walder did it for so many years. It's not coincidental that he was caught recently, you know, and so many of these other ones, most of the high profile cases you hear are 10, 20, 30 years old. Um, and, and I think we're making great progress. So I think we need to talk about this. We need to have honest discussions about the theology. What, what, what is the role of a, of, a, of a leader in terms of, of engaging with, with, with his or her uh, people, people in his care? Um, and, and the more, you know, do a Google search for emotionally manipulative people. Print it in a little card and hand it to someone. Rabbi Feynman was a master at this. When he wanted to change, not change my mind, and he wanted me to see things differently, he would usually, he'd slide a piece of paper over to me, tell me, read it. He would be quiet. I don't know how he did it. He had such patience. He would wait for me to read it. And he said, so Yaakov, what do you think? And so try that. Just take, have a card with you. When you see someone's and in, in, in taking advice from someone, just let somebody else do the talking. Let Wikipedia uh, uh, you know, uh, do, do, do the talking. And I, I think we just need to talk about things. We're, you know, we're not immune from the world's problems. We never were. And I think dialogue is important and bringing, especially in advance, we spoke to our, I spoke to our teenage children about this, about following people and, and, and whom attributes, not names, when you start with a name, it's problematic. Talk about the attributes. What are the attributes of someone you should follow? And, and I think it's a, a very healthy, I said, like I said, well, I did it with my students. We should talk about it. It's the beginning of a conversation. I, I, I to the best of my knowledge, I haven't, um, I haven't, you know, um, I haven't heard this discussed much. One final thought, um, I have the privilege of um, being involved in YU's smicha training they do, they do fantastic three, four year uh, training uh, for the smicha, the, the studying to be rabbis. And one of the things that I spoke, I, I speak for them usually once a year. Um, one of the things that I spoke about is for them to be in touch with the power they have over people. And most people who go into public life don't, might not be aware of this the incredible power that you have and how someone who comes to you is vulnerable. They come to you at the worst points in their life and you could start feeling omnipotent, you know, that you're, you're this wonderful person and you're, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a, a short hop, skip and a jump to, to, to getting into trouble if, if we're not mindful about it. And I think, I, 
I think it's something that we should be talking to our teachers, to our leaders, to our rabbis and rabbits. It should be part of their part of their training to understand. Nobody cannot look. We we've people come to all three of us for different types of things. We know that vulnerability, and it's so easy to get sucked into this. Dr. Solomon, is there anything? Look, there are people who are natural abusers. They start that way. They go into certain fields where they they know that they can target in a community and, and individuals within that community. But there are also people who are lacking in ego strength. And because they have managed to get into a certain career path or profession, that, that strengthens that desire on their part to be more in control of others. Okay. Either way, either way, we need to be wary of them. We need to look for the red flags and we need to warn others in a positive, uh, constructive kind of way to just be wary. Totally agree. Just a final thought that I have on this that I wonder if it's a model that we can adopt here. I talked about something in Israel called the Takana Forum, where it's lawyers, therapists, um, and rabbis that get tips about um, abusers that are not criminals. If they're criminals, they should go to the police. But I would say I think it's emotional abusers, and they assess, you know, loss of testimony, and if someone is dangerous. Um, they warn people about them. And that's something that I wonder, could we build something like that in the U.S.? Because this is nothing that you can go to the police for. It's not a crime. And yet the damage can, you know, uh, last for a lifetime. So as, you know, I think about what type of systemic fixes we could create to prevent these things, um, that, that's coming to mind here. Um, I want to thank you both for your time um, and this has been a fascinating conversation, um, and uh, I hope you both continue, you know, have many long years of uh, teaching, inspiring, um, and preventing abuse in our community. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Allison. Thanks so Thank much. You. Thanks for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.